Hey, you can stay standing for just a moment. Um, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There's just something so powerful happening in this space right now. And I wanna give you a moment between some music and a message just to be in it. Miracles can happen now because the spirit of the Lord is in this space. The same God who calls every star by name, knows every hair on your head, knit you together in your mother's womb, has plans for you and a purpose for you, is calling you. And you can shift the atmosphere in any room you ever walk in, you have that right. You're a child of God, not a slave, not an employee. This is not a religion. He is your dad. Give yourself permission to simply just come and be a kid right now. Evidence is everywhere. The spirit of the Lord is here. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we doing well? Are you well? Good. Well, welcome to church. You may take a seat. It is so good to see you here. If you have your Bibles, go straight to John chapter 20. We're not messing around. Go straight there right now. Anybody here for the first time? Anybody? Oh, come on. Hey, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. You just met Ethan a few moments ago, so there's my proof. You're my evidence. Evidence everywhere. Um, Hey, if you doubt, if you ever ask the tough questions about God, you have a home at this church and you're in the right place at the right time. You're allowed to be in process at this church with your difficult questions and, um, and God can handle them. And I, I wanna show you that today, if that's all right with you. So John chapter 20, we'll read a few verses really quick. But Thomas, somebody say, but Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So really quick, this is right after Jesus predicted and then pulled off his death and resurrection. This is a 40-day period where Jesus is walking around post-resurrection before he ascends back up into the clouds, that time period where 500 eyewitnesses who watched the guy die are now hanging out with him, including the disciples. But up until this point, one disciple, one man named Thomas has not yet seen Jesus. The, others, the other disciples, they told him, Thomas, we saw Jesus, man. We saw the master. But he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands and put my finger in those scars and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room, and this time Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors. Another translation, he walked through the walls. Of course he did stood among them and said, peace be with you. Because why not? You're Jesus. You just conquered death. You walk out of your tomb with the keys to hell, swinging around your finger. Where are my boys at? Oh, they're hunkered down in that locked house. No need to knock. I'll walk through the wall. Hey, Thomas. Hey, buddy. Did you need to, oh, I'm sorry. Did you need to see, see this? I'd have so much more fun with this if I, were, if I were Jesus, but I actually love the picture of grace here that Jesus has for his friend, Thomas. 
he focuses all of his attention on one man, one doubting, hurting, broken guy on Thomas. He says, take your finger, examine my hands, take your hand and stick it in my, in my side. And then do not miss the tone here. Don't be unbelieving, believe. So today is for anybody who's ever had doubts about God, who's ever asked the tough questions about God. Uh, your, your pastor's hand is up. One reason I'm proud to be a Red Rocker, I think this church does a great job of proving pastors don't wear capes. And I'm just hoping to further that agenda today. So if that's you, you have a home at this church. If you've got friends who ask the tough questions, friends who doubt, today is for you. I'm telling you, God can handle your doubts and your tough questions. He's a big boy the biggest boy that there is, he can handle it, okay? And I, it's my personal opinion, Thomas gets a bad reputation in the church. Don't be like doubting Thomas. Thomas, we're not mad, we're, we're just disappointed. Have more faith and believe, Thomas. And, and we quote the words of Jesus without the tone of Jesus or the relational equity of Jesus, which is a very popular practice nowadays. But do not miss the heart here. I'm telling you, I, I, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus will walk through your locked doors of doubt and fear and insecurities to meet you right where you are. And if you doubt or if you ever question, he'll give you something that you can see and that you feel. I think God knew we would need that, which is why there's the evidence for his existence that you need no faith to see. You just need eyes. It's all over creation. Romans chapter 1 Verse 20 says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen in the visible, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Creation, in my opinion, points to a creator. The natural reveals the supernatural, right? So do you doubt? Do you need something that you can sometimes see and feel? Well, I pray that church for you would build your faith today. I've been praying on your behalf. Did not ask for your permission that Jesus would show up and walk through your locked doors of fear and doubt insecurity and questions and meet you right where you're at and show you that there's evidence for his existence everywhere. And so if you're taking notes, that's what we're gonna call this message. There's evidence everywhere. So God, once again, meet us here. We believe, Jesus, help our unbelief. Divinely persuade us, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, how real you are, how good you are, and how close you are. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Kyle, you did this to me at the nine o'clock too. You're looking, I can see it in your eyes. You're daring me, challenging me to name the first 20 elements on the periodic table in order, just for some science cred before we move on with this sermon. And I, I can see you're not gonna let up about this. So, okay. I mean, I'm not prepared for this, but hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, fluorine, uh, neon, magnesium, aluminum, um, Silicon, phosphorus, sulfur, argon, potassium, calcium. Bam, there it is. The first 20 elements. I cannot stress how important it is that you did not take notes on what I just did. You will not need that in the real world. Please go learn how to do your taxes before you met, like even chemical engineers, the only people who need this are element memorizers. And if that was a job, I'd be rich, okay? 
but that's not a job. However, I just wanted to build some, some street cred. Is that right? Some science cred? Maybe that's the opposite of street cred. I'm not sure um, for this sermon. And you're going to see why in just a few moments. But I love science. I have ever since high school. And that's because I had a teacher who is a hero of mine. Teachers are heroes. And, and I had one such teacher. His name was Mr. Ryan. He was my chemistry teacher sophomore year, my AP chemistry teacher junior year. I loved it so much, I took that class again. And I remember so vividly one day in AP Chem, we had a free day. Okay, so now normally on free days, teachers show movies. I would have been fine with that. That would have been great, but not Mr. Ryan. Oh, no. Mr. Ryan, the smartest guy I've ever met, one of the coolest guys I know, a modern-day Bruce Wayne minus the billions of dollars and the secret vigilante identity as far as I know, okay? But he walked into class on this free day, and maybe he was hopped up on a Red Bull. Maybe he was super jazzed about his fresh, brand-new pack of chalk that he just bought at Staples. That got him going. Um but for whatever reason, he decided to just to like to go Jimmy Neutron on all of us for 45 minutes, right? And so I'm just sitting there in the in the I would I would have said front row, but I was third row. I was a third row student, and uh, and Mr. Ryan grabs his fresh chalk, turns to this blank chalkboard, which represents infinite possibility, Ryan, and he unleashes levels of nerddom Elon Musk is unfamiliar with for 45 minutes, just to shock us and wow us, right? And build the same passion that he has for chemistry. So he turns around, he, he grabs his piece of chalk and he just starts going for 45 minutes and he started basic and then it got more complicated, started talking faster and faster. And he was like, guys, you, you know all this, but there's atoms and then in every atom, there's a nucleus in the center of the atom. And in that nucleus, it's made up of protons and neutrons and those protons and neutrons are made up of quarks and gluons. This is the subatomic, this is, this is quantum theory, which can be explained by by string theory, which by the way, he explained at that point by string theory. And he said, it's not, it's not just the nucleus of the atom, but there's electrons orbiting around the nucleus. And we don't even know. They're way more waves than particles. And we don't even know where they are. We can just make our best predictions. But guys, check this out. If the nucleus was the size of a tennis ball, those electrons would be orbiting at a radius of five miles, which means there's nothing but empty space between the nucleus and those electrons. And that means, and you guessed it, all of matter, including the very chair you're sitting in right now is 99.9999999999% empty space. And if we could somehow collapse all of that empty space, those electrons onto that nucleus, you'd have something so dense. It's what's called a neutron star. And it gets cooler if you had a neutron star the size of a tennis ball. It would weigh so much. It would weigh more than the city of Austin and the entire planet would burn up from his heat. And he talked faster and faster for 45 minutes until the bell rang and he did a chalk drop and somehow made it look cool. And I'm sitting there in the third row thinking, is that Matt Damon from Goodwill Hunting? Homeboy's wicked smart. But I walked into class that day truly thinking that science, reason, and logic were in this epic battle with all of my beliefs about God. I walked out 45 minutes later with a much less ignorant, much more enlightened perspective to see science as simply just human beings trying to explain and figure out how he made it all. 
trying to explain how God designed his creation, how the creator designed his creation. Here's a quote from a man named Robert Jastrow, who's not a pastor or a theologian, but a scientist who works for NASA. Here it is. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The study of things that we can see points us to a creator that we cannot. Creation implies there is a creator. And so to quote Tim Keller, I believe there is evidence everywhere that you can see to the point where it actually takes more faith not to believe in God than it does to believe in God. And I want to show you that today. There's a word called apologetics, this big, fancy, academic word, way more intimidating sound, like it sounds way more intimidating than it actually is. All apologetics means is is creating reasonable arguments for the existence of God, using grace and truth, honestly answering questions about God. And so let me show you what I mean. You've got questions, you've got doubts, so do I. Like Thomas, every once in a while, you guys, you just need to to feel and see something tangible that you can experience with your five senses. I wanna show you that today. We've got a few minutes. I wanna ask and answer two questions, okay? I wanna ask and answer two questions to show you that there is evidence everywhere. So here's the first question. Number one, why is there something rather than nothing. I know that's super philosophical sounding. Don't think too hard on that. Something will pop and I've been there. It's not fun. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why are you here, Kyle? Why are you here when you could not be here? I mean, existing. Why am I here? Why is the universe here? Because everything that exists needs an explanation for its existence. And so at the 9 a.m. service, my eight-week-old, Kinsley Jane, she was here. It was her very first church service. It was really, really special. So Kinsley was in this room a couple of hours ago. Kinsley Jane, my eight-week-old daughter, she exists. And the explanation for her existence, oh, I guess we know the explanation for Kinsley Jane's existence, right? You have an iPhone in your pocket or an Android. I'm not trying to be divisive or offensive here. You have an iPhone in your pocket. It has an explanation for its existence, a team that designed it and a factory that made it. But what about the universe? That's my question. What caused that? What made that? Because scientifically, you cannot say that something came from nothing. Philosophically, you can't do that either. You'd be better off believing in magic than you would, be, like, than you would to say that something can come from nothing. Because at least with magic, you have a magician and you have a hat to pull a rabbit out of that hat. But if there's nothing with the universe, you can't say that something can come from nothing. So William Lane Craig, if you, like, if you like what I'm about to talk about, go Google that name and look up some more stuff when you get home. William Lane Craig is a BA Christian apologist, a beast of an academic, of a, of a Christian apologist, okay? Another man, Sam Harris, 
is a very, very well-known atheist, very smart, very witty. Um, I like him. I don't know if that's okay to say in church. Like, we, we, we know atheists are not the enemy, right? This, like, he's a, he's a human being, and he's brilliant. And Sam Harris will debate William Lane Craig a lot. And Sam Harris is quoted saying this about William Lane Craig. He says, William Lane Craig puts the fear of God into the atheists that he debates who don't even believe in God. This guy, William Lane Craig, he, he took something called the Kalam Cosmological Argument. Don't worry about remembering that. I'm just citing my sources. He took the Kalam Cosmological Argument and popularized it and modernized it and basically just made it accessible and created something called the Contingency Argument. This is the Contingency Argument. argument. Not, not as difficult as it sounds. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe must have a cause. And that cause cannot be part of the universe. It must be outside of it. And it must be non-physical and immaterial. So here's the question. If you're sharp, you're asking this question right here. How do we know, though, that the universe hasn't just always been here? How do we know once upon a time the universe started? Because for a long time, scientists and atheists have just stood on that claim, on that foundational claim. The universe has always just been here, and that's it. End of story. But it was proven in 2003 that the universe is expanding out in every single direction right now. So right here, if this balloon is the universe... And it's expanding out in every single direction... <laughs> at the speed of light. Oh, man. Guys, I'm so out of breath after that science thing, and now I'm trying to blow this balloon. Okay, so this is the universe in all of us. You, me, every star, every planet, the Milky Way galaxy, every galaxy, Kyle, everybody is in this, and the universe is expanding out in every single direction at the speed of light. And if that's true, and it is, scientifically it's been proven, then let's press pause on the timeline of the universe, and let's hit rewind. And let's head back in time back in time, back before Red Rocks was here, back before Kyle was born, back before America was a thing, back before saber-toothed tigers thousands of years ago, depending on what you believe, millions of years ago, back, back to the warning track. Eventually, once upon a time, the universe started. Now, scientists and atheists can no longer make the claim, the universe has just always been there, so nothing created it because it's been proven the universe has a beginning. And if that's true... If that's true, and something can't come from nothing, and everything that exists must have a cause for its existence, then what caused the universe? What caused it? Because you can't say something came from nothing. What caused the universe? And it can't be energy. Why? Because that energy would have to have a cause. And it can't be matter because that matter would have to have a cause. Whatever created time and space, by definition, would have to be outside of time and space, 
which means it would have to be timeless and spaceless, or you could say it this way, whatever that thing or that someone was that created everything before there was anything would have to stay the same through the ages and never, ever change. William Lane Craig was quoted saying this, you have to say that it was God. And then he gets sassy. He says, if you don't like that word, then you have to call it the extremely powerful, uncaused, necessarily existing, non-contingent, non-physical, immaterial being who created the entire universe and everything in it. Or you can just call it God. So why is there something rather than nothing? Because there is. And I believe whatever started it in that moment, it's my belief it was a fairly large bang that exploded out in every direction at the speed of light the moment God said, let there be. Like Jesus saying to Thomas, see and feel. I agree with Pastor Timothy Keller based on reason, logic, and evidence, i.e. what you can see and feel. It takes more faith not to believe in God than it does to believe in God. That's the contingency argument. Let's do one more just for fun. The moral argument. This is called the moral argument. And if you wanna know more about this, go by Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. The moral argument asks and answers this question. Why is there such a thing as good and evil? Let's say it this way. Can good and evil be a thing if God's not real? So an atheist can help a little old lady across the street or get a frightened kitten out of a tree. So you can do good things without believing in God, but that's not the question. Can good and evil, those concepts, can they even be real if there's no such thing as God? And the pretty foolproof answer to that question is, is no. And it's because if God does not exist, objective moral values also do not exist. There is no right and there is no wrong unless there's a God out there beyond all the right and wrong who defines for us this is right and this is wrong. So let me give you an example. Everybody, you, me, Christians, atheists, everybody would agree murder is wrong. Murder is evil. So let me ask you this question. Okay, why though? Why is it evil? And you would say, well, it's, that's an obvious fact. Okay, why is it an obvious fact? And you'd say, oh, it's just a moral, dude. Okay, well, well, follow the breadcrumbs. Where does that moral come from? What is that moral attached to? There's some kind of invisible moral standard out there somewhere, guys, that everybody everywhere just seems to know about, and nobody had to be taught and there was no, like, think, like, there was no committee that once upon a time got together and said, okay, what are we going to do with murder? Is it evil? All in favor? Like, okay, murder's evil. Okay, uh, rape is evil. Uh, assault is evil. Okay, uh, stealing is evil. Okay, these are the evil things. So, like, okay, so what are the good things? Being kind? Yeah, yeah, that's good. We'll, we'll call that good. Uh, generosity? Okay. Um, helping people who, who need help? Okay, these things are good. These things are evil. Okay, says who? Says who? Because that committee never happened. And yet somehow every person from every culture on every continent knows the same thing. And none of us had to be taught. C.S. Lewis would say human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way. And nobody 
can really get rid of it. So where does that come from, this moral code? Once again, just like the universe, it comes from something outside of us. Once again, the natural points to the supernatural, something or someone whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Without God, there can be no such thing as good and evil. Without God, you can murder. Without God, you can't call murder evil. You can't assign it that concept. Without God, you can help somebody, but without God, you cannot call that good. Without God, there is no evil and there is no good, and all of us should just be able to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. Everything should be permissible because nobody would have this, this mysterious standard between good and evil to, to reference when you do something you shouldn't do. Nobody can say, oh, you, you can't do that because on that spectrum, it fits more to like, because that's not a thing, which means we should be able to do whatever we want to do what it, like, whenever we want to do it. But what's true about the world we live in? You can't do whatever you want to do just because you want to do it. And if you need proof on that, drive home from church today with the top down 100 miles an hour, naked with a beer in your hand, get pulled over. You know where you're going? Jail. And every person on every continent, from every culture, would all agree, yeah, you know what, you probably should. But why, though? But why? There's this invisible moral code out there somewhere beyond the sun that something or someone also out there beyond the sun had to design and then somehow tell all of us about download into all of our hearts. And I love how the Bible just hits this out of the park. Romans 2.15, they, every human being, demonstrates that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. So there's the moral argument. Ben, you can come up. Evidence everywhere that you can see points to a God that you can't. And if you're anything like me, okay, awesome. You got a thousand more questions and a thousand more doubts. And can I just say, please keep coming back. You can be in process here. Bring your questions here. You're in good company here. God is not intimidated by all of that. And can I just say, there are better answers out there to your difficult questions than just have more faith, slugger. Stop doubting, Thomas. And have more faith. Like, like, there's better answers to your questions. So keep coming back. Stay hungry and stay close. Just be, just be warned. God might save you before he answers any of them. So this year, I'll get really honest. I have struggled with doubt for the first time in my life. So you know that there's spiritual gifts tests. I've taken about 10 of them. You take one when you do the online portion of Grow. Um, do Grow. Groups and Grow, is that it? That's good. Um, and my, my number one spiritual gift on every test I've ever taken has been faith. So I've got about a million weaknesses. Just ask my wife. <laughs> But faith has never been one of them. I've just always been that guy that's like, we can, we can do all things, guys, for real. I just, I, I know in my knower that this is, hey, let's move, let's start a church, it's gonna work. Faith has just always been my thing. So it's been really, really challenging and hard to have a year where doubt has just lingered for the first time ever. 
in, in 2020. You guys remember that? When just you see horrible things in the world happen and you experience to new levels how life can just be cruel. And you watch adult Christians who claim their number one mission is to love their neighbors say horrible, horrible things. And you just start to watch it and go, man, is this, are we, are we really for real? Is this, am I crazy? God, are, are, you, are you really there? Like, because I, I mean, I know you are, but I don't always, at least right now, know what's happening. And, and so my thing um, when that's happening is usually it, it ends up, it, it like walks around my neighborhood at 1 a.m. with my lab Luna. And uh, I'll walk and I'll just kind of get honest with God. And uh, it starts with a lot of Christianese, which I believe God hates and then slowly but surely turns into authenticity and me saying what I really believe and what I'm really going through. And I think he loves that, by the way. He looks at that and goes, all right, I can, like, that's what I'm talking about. There, there you are. All right, let's have a talk. He's your dad. And it ends usually with me. Um, it's ended with me at some, like sometimes last year, I was like shaking my fist at the stars, yelling at the stars to God saying, God, you're not real. <laughs> I, like, I don't even think that you exist, right? Trying to hurt God's feelings. And then I realized if I'm trying to hurt somebody's feelings who I know is there, then somewhere deep down, I know that this is, this is real. But I've had so many moments where I've just, I've dropped to my knees and I've prayed this more in the last year than I've ever prayed it in my entire life. God, can you persuade me again? Can you, can I know in my knower again? I miss that, that faith that was unshakable. I miss that. Can you remind me once again how real you are and that when I take my final breath and close my eyes for the last time, I'm gonna see you face to face, Jesus. I mean, you wanna talk about a year where you sober up to the idea of your mortality and how short life is, that it's a vapor here today, gone tomorrow, dew on the grass here in the morning and gone before lunchtime. Today is the most valuable thing you have. Tomorrow is not promised. And I would pray to God, like, God, remind me, tell me, make sure, I, I wanna know that when that moment comes, I'm going to see you face to face. And I'm telling you from experience, and I told, this, I told you this to you last week, desperation precedes breakthrough. And there is a beautiful side to the pain of your desperation because the presence of your desperation oftentimes correlates with the presence of God in your life because he promises the Holy Spirit is our comforter who shows up when we actually need him. If it's been a while since you've truly experienced God, I would ask you to ask yourself, do you really need him in the life that you're living with the risks for the kingdom that you're taking right now? Desperation is a beautiful thing. And in those moments, just like Thomas, Jesus will show up and walk through your locked doors of fear and doubts and insecurity and questions to let you see and feel the holes in his hands and in his side if you have to. There is evidence everywhere pointing to him. That's why God has left clues around his entire creation signaling us like signal flares of grace and love to us that there's something bigger going on out there that I can look up at the stars and I know it doesn't just end with those
those balls of gas. Thank you, Pumbaa, burning billions of miles away that there is a personal God out there beyond even the farthest constellation, but he's not just out there. He's also in here, and he numbers every single star and calls them by name, and at the same time knows every hair on my head. And the same God who's holding the entire universe that's expanding right now at the speed of light in every direction is also holding my heart in the palm of his hand right now. Deeply personal. And I believe God will show you that. And so I pray in your seasons of doubt, you guys, don't waste those moments because you will oftentimes find God just beyond the grid you're trying to chart him on. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And and somewhere right beyond where your most difficult question ends is where wonder begins and worship sets in. Worship him through your questions, man. Praise him in your doubt. Give yourself permission to come to him like a little kid on his lap, not needing to know all the answers. I picture my two-year-old Will. Last night I was reading him a bedtime story and just feeling his spirit like he's not worried about a thing. He wasn't thinking about today, last night. He learned to say Jesus for the first time last night in the book that we were reading and felt so much just, I'm right here and everything's okay because dad's here. And so for God, you guys, I'm a math guy and I'm a logical guy and things need to make sense to me. But just know, like for me to know, I don't gotta have all the infinite math figured out because there's a God out there who loves me beyond like all of our math, who does not use the same logic as we do, who does not think with the same kind of reason that we do, who's got everything figured out so I have permission just to sit on his lap and feel small for a little bit man I want to challenge you let yourself feel small this weekend and when I say small I do not mean insignificant you are far more significant than you will ever dare to believe could be could be true about you I promise you I mean small this is not to minimize you this is to maximize God you want God as maximized as he could ever possibly be in your life the bigger God becomes in your life the more peaceful you get the more joyful you get, the more whole you get, the more okay you are, the bigger God gets. So just let yourself feel small, like you're standing in front of like the Rocky Mountains with all of its imposing grandeur or in front of the ocean in all of its horrifyingly majestic power where I know that thing could kill me in moments if it ever wanted to. I see God in those kinds of things. I see the evidence of God and the joy and the innocence of my son. I see evidence of God when mercy is carried out and when justice is carried out. I see evidence of God when I'm officiating a wedding up there at the altar with two people who are so attached and in love with each other and I'm trying to explain this mysterious and powerful concept called love that brings two people together that you can't explain with string theory or the elements on a periodic table I see God when people who are in pain still praise him I see God when people who are who are just going through it, who are, who like who are sick, still talk about His goodness. I see the evidence of God in the fact that one little poor Jewish carpenter who was born as a baby in a cave two thousand years ago with no Instagram account, 
who never tried to immortalize himself, who never made a statue of himself, who never forced a single soul to follow him, has somehow started a movement that is becoming a global blazing wildfire that can't be stopped and is gaining more and more people with each passing moment. I see evidence of God in the fact that billions of people just like this are gathered in churches just like this all over the world in every single country to worship a God that they can't even see. To me, I think about that and go, man, this must be like... Let the faith of the people around you build yours when you remember the fact that everybody in this room is somehow feeling and experiencing the same thing that you're feeling and experiencing. Like, how do you, how do you explain something like that? There is evidence for him everywhere, you guys, everywhere. Even when I feel like Thomas and I don't know what I believe. You know what Thomas did right? He stayed close. He was in that room, man when Jesus showed up. If Jesus showed up to walk through the doors to let you see and feel something real, would you be there? You're here today, you're staying close. Do grow, get in a group, keep coming back. Surround yourself with people who can carry your mat when you need them to stay close because Jesus will show up whether you lock those doors or not, whether you give him permission or not. He's not waiting for that. He's walking through to show you something real. So let your, let your faith be built, not by something that you have to somehow muster more faith for, but by the stuff and the evidence and the clues in his creation that you can see for yourself. There is evidence everywhere. The natural points to the supernatural. The stuff you can see points to a God that you cannot. And be reminded when you have doubts or when you, when you open the Bible and go, oh my gosh, like I, I just, I don't know what I believe. Be reminded that if he really is the creator of his creation, then that means he's also the master of his creation. And that means he can defy the laws of his creation anytime he wants to. The laws of science, the laws of, like he made all of that. So he can defy them whenever he wants and part the Red Sea just because he wants to and stop the flow of the Jordan River just because he wants to and stop the rotation of the literal earth so the sun stands still in the sky for a 24 hour period just because he wants to and put on flesh and bone and come to this planet to walk on water and multiply food and heal people just because he wants to and then be crucified and put in the ground but then walk out of that ground and walk through a locked door to say hi to one friend just because he wants to church we have a supernatural God and his ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are higher than ours he's beyond even the farthest constellation but he's here right now let yourself be enveloped in the mystery because you can't worship a God that fully makes sense to you why would you want a God that fully makes sense to you? What kind of God is that? Right beyond all of our logic is where wonder sets in and worship begins. So just let yourself not be in control. Human beings are obsessed. We need to be in control. So the real challenge of worship, oftentimes, especially in seasons of doubt, is can I just be small and completely out of control right now? and know that I'm not promised tomorrow and know that maybe nothing I do today will promise me tomorrow. Can you feel small? That's the invitation to you today. There's evidence everywhere. This God is so real. And that's been my takeaway at the end of a very hard year of a lot of doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. 
Doubt is like your workout on the way to stronger and stronger faith. It's like, I'm right here. I have more faith than I did a year ago because of the tough year that I went through. It's like, this is my starting point, this amount of faith. And I ended up here, more faith. And between here and there was a struggle called doubt. That is not a bad thing. God gave you a logical, reasonable brain. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's your worst enemy. And doubt is the process of laying that down to become like a kid in zero control of everything. And then you find yourself more whole and content, knowing in your knower in even a deeper way, God's got this, man. You're not a slave. You're not an employee. He doesn't need you to impress him with your ability to believe or all the stuff that you do. Sit on his lap and let yourself be small and let your God be in control.